1: This is Cresta in the Afternoon.
2: Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Cresta in the Afternoon. Today's program will be focused on the papacy of John Paul II and his legacy. And then after that we'll be zooming into the seven sacraments and why God instituted this tangible means of being of allowing human beings to become true recipients of His grace. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Marcus Peter. I'm the Director of Marketing here at Ave Maria Radio, and I'm subbing for Al today. Al isn't in the studio. I want to encourage all of us to go on AveMariaRadio.net, and you'll see in one of the sliders that on October the 17th, Cardinal Pia uh, Cardinal Pierre Battista Pia who is the Latin Catholic Patriarch of Jerusalem. He has called for a day of fasting and prayer for peace and reconciliation in the Holy Land tomorrow. So Catholics all over the world are encouraged to participate in this act of union and unification in prayer, for the sake of the cessation of war, for the cessation of unjust killings, and for the blessing of God and for peaceful resolution to come, come into the, the, that region of the Middle East. So he encourages people to go, go into times of Eucharistic adoration, recitation of the rosary, and to pray particularly that God the Father deliver us from this war and to grant us our thirst for peace, justice, and reconciliation. I also ask you to pray for the the Latin Catholic Patriarch because he has willingly offered himself in exchange for all of the children who have been kidnapped by Hamas. Uh, he, he willingly said, even me personally, I'm willing to participate in an exchange if it means we can get the children back. So pray for everything that's going on in that area of the world and join us here at Ave Maria Radio as we fast and pray for peace in the Middle East. Today is the anniversary of the election of Cardinal Karol Wojtyła, Archbishop of Krakow, as the 263rd successor to St. Peter. And he takes on the name John Paul II, largely in honor of uh, John Paul I, his predecessor. And in one of his apostolic exhortations, Christifidelis Adela he talks about the role of priest, prophet, and king of each member of the laity by virtue of our anointing as, bapt- as baptized members of the covenant family. I ask you to think about your roles as priest, prophet, and king in Christ as we take a look at the headlines.
0: Thanks, Marcus. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Yerabi Maria Radio News for Monday, October 16th. It's the feast of St. Margaret Mary Alco. Today's news is brought to you by Charity Mobile, supporting pro life and Catholic causes at charitymobile.com. The war between Israel and Hamas raging as a ground invasion of Gaza appears imminent israel ambassador to the u.s michael herzog says hamas has one goal
3: they were waging all out war against the state of israel and we are determined to destroy their war machine so that they cannot threaten us again
0: this comes as clean water food medical supplies and fuel are running short in gaza as thousands attempt to flee south the death toll from the fighting has left over 4,100 people dead, at least 30 Americans have been killed, and 13 are still unaccounted for. The Israel-Hamas war began when Hamas militants killed Israeli citizens and soldiers and took hostages on October 7th. The Latin Catholic Patriarch of Jerusalem, Cardinal pierre Battista Pizzaballa, has offered to be exchanged for the children being held hostage by Hamas. Israeli Defense Forces say there are 199 Israeli hostages. Cardinal Pietro has called for a day of prayer and fasting for peace to be held tomorrow. More information can be found in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Two bishops from mainland China are making an early exit from the Synod on Synodality. Bishop Antonio Shun and Bishop Joseph Yang will return to China without completing the process. and have not been given an explanation for their early departure. A similar incident occurred in 2018 when two Chinese bishops made an unexplained early departure from the synod on youth. And Russian President Vladimir Putin will meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping in China this week. Moscow and Beijing says the visit is aimed at deepening the partnership between Washington's two biggest strategic competitors. From your Avi Maria Radio.net News Desk, I'm Steve Clark. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta in the
2: Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the radio hosts here at Ave Maria Radio. I host Unveiling the Covenants, a program on sacred scripture, and you can find that on AveMariaRadio.net in the archives. As I mentioned earlier, today is the anniversary of the election of Pope Saint John Paul II to the papal chair as the 263rd successor to St. Peter. We're going to be talking with Monsignor J. Brian Bransfield about a work that he wrote as an attempt to summarize the grand theological anthropology uh, that John Paul II left us as this great treasury. See, in the 20th century, there were three social revolutions, the industrial, sexual, and technological, and they challenged the religious convictions of the world at large. But John Paul II's teaching on the human person was his response to all of the resulting societal shifts that these revolutions caused. Monsignor J. Brian Bransfield is probably no stranger to a lot of you listening to this program. He has served as the General Secretary of the USCCB from 2015 to 2020, and he's also the author of several books, including The Human Person, According to John Paul II, which is what we're talking about today, and Angels, Our Guardians in Spiritual Battle. You can follow him on Twitter at at Brian Bransfield. Monsignor Bransfield, how are you doing, sir?
4: Wonderful. It's good to be with you and your listeners today on this. 45 years ago today, Carl Wojtyla, the Cardinal Carl Wojtyla, was elected Pope John Paul II, and he, he changed the course of history in the Church and uh, fulfilled God's plan. So what a wonderful day it is.
2: It truly is. And once you know, it's amazing that you mentioned that 45 years ago, on the one hand, that seems like because a lot has happened in the past 45 years, it seems like a lifetime ago. But on the other hand, we really are not that much chronologically and historically removed from the election of John Paul II to the papacy. And as I constantly mention, Al and I talk about this all the time, because we had two significant giants of, of recent history sitting upon the throne of Peter, we were so close to it that we almost took it for granted.
4: I, I think in a sense, we took it in, and that was the key, that we needed to take in what God had sent us and allowed us to have, Karol Vutiwa, Pope John Paul II, a son of Poland who came to the throne of, of Peter, the world's oldest elected office, and when the cardinals elected him, he he was really poised to answer so much of the crisis. Uh, Karol Wojtyla confronted not just one but two totalitarian regimes: German mm. Nazism and Soviet Communism, and he faced a third under his papacy: uh, the the regime of uh, of relativism yeah. of of in the West. He faced that, and he answered all three in the same way, only in Jesus Christ and Our Lady, and valuing the human person. And to go forward in that way with the phrase, be not afraid, that was the center of everything he did. And here was a man who was a university professor. He had an earned doctorate. He could answer the philosophical questions in philosophical language. He could answer the theological questions in theological language. But he appealed to the human art in everyday language. And that's why I wrote The Human Person, according to John Paul II. It's a user-friendly, accessible look at Pope John Paul II and what he means to us today.
2: Amen. Amen. So before we start talking about John Paul II's legacy, his response, uh, his way of speaking to the hearts of the faithful, let's talk about the milieu within which he comes to ascend to the throne of Peter. It, it, it wasn't a time of tremendous peace, like you just mentioned, between the societal revolutions, uh, plus totalitarian regimes, and like you said, this Western neo-relativism that was rearing its ugly head and to this day is still spreading at large. So he comes into the throne of Peter, facing all of this, and he does it with this smile on his face and his heart firmly rooted in the cross of Christ
4: exactly he had been prepared from the very beginning his uh, poland it's situated between obviously between russia and europe so poland has a history of invasion of violence of tragedy and trauma mm-hmm. but of resilience the polish people always come back they always return and john paul ii knew that and he knew the center of it was culture and faith culture is how we hold things together how we keep connections of everyday life and love marriage faith uh, family relationship and he in his childhood saw his country and his in his youth saw his country overrun and where did he turn to the church his father a man of great faith but also he saw his family Went through great trauma. Mm -hmm. He lost his mother at a very early age. He lost his sister. He lost his brother. And it was him and his father. His father was a military man, a man of great faith. And then he lost his father. And by the time he was 20, he had lost everyone close. He knows what loss is, both on a national and a personal level. Therefore, he knows what recovery is, how to recover in Christ and Our Lady. When we feel defeated, when we feel hurt and alone, either on a national level or a personal level, John Paul II has been there. He can be there with us, too. He is a saint, a towering figure that stretches across the millennia, stretches across the century of the 20th century into the 21st he came right at the center right in between the second vatican council and the third millennium he said Mm -hmm. repeatedly my pontificate is the authentic interpretation of the second vatican council and the preparation for the third millennium of christian history he knew exactly where he was and he knew exactly who christ was and he introduced us to christ in a profound way and our lady
2: you know, we, even listening to you speak, you come to the sense of what what a gargantuan figure this man is—not just intellectually, but also in terms of his spiritual life. This almost complete abandon to the providence of, the, of his divine Lord and the intercession of his blessed mother, for whom he has told us to us, I'm, I'm completely yours, Mary. So uh, again, I want to just touch on very briefly for the benefit of our listeners, what were some of the key effects in socioeconomic and especially anthropological uh, history of the Industrial Revolution, the Sexual Revolution, and the Technological Revolution? What, what were some of the key issues that John Paul II becoming pope had to face head on?
4: Well, I think what he had to face and what we all had to face, what our parents and grandparents had to Mm -hmm. face, society went from uh, an agrarian, a farming style of life, a local family style of life, a neighborhood style of life, to industrial. And the Industrial Revolution brought some good things. Brought some very good, but it also took away some things, changed the nature of the family. The father went away from the family. Now the dad, he went away. It used to be growing up, the family saw their father in a farming society several right. times through the day. Right, but then didn't. So the loss of a sense of fatherhood. But then the uh, the sexual revolution came in. And it was already forming in the late 1800s. It went through the early 1900s, came of age in the 1950s and beyond. What did it take away? A sense of marriage and family. It replaced it with a sense of promiscuity as somehow good and, and sin as somehow to be mainstreamed. And we saw not only now was the family hit by the ill effects of an industrial revolution, but the sexual revolution gave the sense that, in order to be a person, I have to acquire pleasure.
2: Right. And isn't
4: that every commercial, all the profit-making things out there? If you want to matter as a person, you better be acquiring pleasure. That's what the sexual revolution Then the technological revolution said, everything you're doing, do it quicker. Everything you're doing, the swipe of a hand, the, the swipe of a finger, the push of a button, you should have it. So, our sense of a person today to matter and to be a person is to matter, I have to acquire pleasure quickly. The industrial, the sexual, and the technological revolution. John Paul II said, no, it's not to be a person to acquire pleasure quickly. To be a person is to give, not acquire. It's to give, not, not acquire pleasure, it's to give beauty. The beauty of marriage and family life, the beauty of Christian vocation, the beauty and to give it slowly, to give beauty slowly. And that's what he did.
2: You know, I remember reading this quote. I forget what document it's attributed to, but it is John Paul II's quote. And it goes very simply to the effect of one of the greatest lies that are plaguing society right now is that we have an overt concentration on the need to be efficient. And I know he said that as a direct polemic against the call of the technological revolution to be efficient, to... Uh, to to speed up cause and effect and to make sure that it's always about the end result it's it's an almost machiavellian sort of system that's been established on a, on a much smaller scale in society
4: you know he john paul ii could spot a lie a mile away because he had grown up under nazism and communism he mm-hmm. knew what a lie looked like and, and lies are always disguised to look like something else
5: Mm
4: -hmm. uh it's the devil's old strategies disguised to look like an angel of light well efficiency very much is a lie show me a very efficient situation or person and i'll show you a very high blood pressure uh (laughs) today because all of the health concerns you know we think we're efficient but we're not we think we're technological or not we have all friends on facebook and twitter and all this stuff but but we have less contacts, less confidants. There's a plague of loneliness out there today. Well, that didn't come because we're inefficient. We think we're efficient, but we're so lonely. It used to be when I was growing up, my dad came home, and, you know, after dinner, they would. my mom and dad would go out and work in the yard, and that's when you met the neighbors. Well, today we're so efficient, we don't know what yard work is. Right. We, we don't, you know, the parables of Jesus mean almost nothing to us, because the seeds, the vineyard, we don't know what it is to get our hands dirty in the soil. Well, John Paul II knew. He worked in a chemical factory. He worked as a laborer. You know, he wasn't just talking about human labor. He had been a laborer. When the, the Nazis came in. Who did he turn to? Everyone was taken away. The first victim of the totalitarian regime was not the military. It was not um, it, it was not the industrial complex. It was the intellectuals in the university because right. they knew, take away the culture, get the university professors first out of there, if you mm-hmm. want to change people. And who did he turn to? Jan Taranowski, a local tailor, who led a youth group at the parish, and that was the man whose clause has been introduced, by the way, in uh, in Krakow, who who introduced John Paul II to Carmelite spirituality. This tailor introduced one of the greatest popes in 500 years to Carmelite spirituality, a tailor nearby. How important everyday work was to him. He saw the laborer. He saw what it meant and the gifts they gave. Efficiency is 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 another just a nice repackaging of, of another lie and yep. he said no love one another spend time with each other be with each other and in there you, you learn to see the other and to love them
2: oh boy that segment flew by really fast uh, and we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break been talking to monsignor brian bransfield former General Secretary of the USCCB from 2015 to 2020. We're talking about his book, The Human Person According to John Paul II. I'm Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the Afternoon.
3: Father Benedict Rochelle. Brothers and sisters, we got to tell the truth in this country. For
6: heaven's sakes, I wouldn't want to go to a synagogue and find that they were having a Muslim service. I wouldn't want to go to a mosque and run into a Baptist service. I don't want to go to a Baptist church and find out that they're having mass. We've got to be honest to ourselves. We've got to be what we are. I'd rather a good old-fashioned, honest agnostic than a phony Christian any day of the week. There are reluctant agnostics. There are atheists who are searching for God, and they may find him. But somebody who says they're doing something in the name of God, and the name of Christ, and God and Christ have nothing to do with it, is violating this commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall not
7: take my name in vain. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Why is sacrifice an important part of worship? The Catholic Catechism tells us that it is right and good to offer sacrifice to God as a sign of adoration, gratitude, supplication, and communion. What is the sacrifice most pleasing to God? Psalm 51 says, It is a broken spirit. What does that mean? Paragraph 2100 of the Catechism counsels, Outward sacrifice, to be genuine, must be an expression of inward spiritual sacrifice. Old covenant prophets denounced sacrifices that were not from the heart or not coupled with love of neighbor. The one perfect sacrifice was Jesus' agony and death on the cross. By uniting ourselves with the Lord's sacrifice, we can make our lives a sacrifice to God. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit
0: you and your spouse are invited to cruise with Royal Caribbean this January, along with Father Michael Schmitz, Archbishop Naumann, Al, Teresa, Dr. Ray, and many others. Get away with your spouse on a fun, relaxing, and rejuvenating cruise with inspiring speakers, daily mass, and endless memorable experiences. Father Michael Schmitz comments You'll encounter an amazing community of couples and speakers, and most importantly, you'll encounter Christ. More details at avemariaradio.net. Just click the travel link.
9: Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org.
1: Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US1.
2: Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta. We're talking with Monsignor Brian Bransfield, former General Secretary of the USCCB and author of several books, including the one we're talking about today, The Human Person, According to John Paul II. Today, as I mentioned, is the anniversary of the election of Pope John Paul II to the throne of Peter. So, Monsignor Bransfield, you, you were talking about the lie of efficiency, and John Paul II was so keenly aware that this lie had... A kind of overarching reach because, for example, when when addressing things pertaining to the sexual revolution, uh, in the name of efficiency, promiscuous sex is more efficient than sex that comes in marriage that comes with a lifelong commitment. Uh, Cohabitation is more, quote-unquote, efficient because it doesn't require the cost of giving my whole self. Uh, Divorce is more efficient because marriage costs too much of me. Fatherlessness is more efficient because I can give of myself more to industrial productivity. you know that he saw the effects of that ideology that came about as the result of the technological revolution, riding the waves of the sexual and the industrial revolution.:
4: He did, and and he he noted that evil always wants to repackage itself as something good, mm-hmm. and so his notion was that the beauty of married love the permanent, faithful, fruitful bond of one man and one woman for life is is going to be inefficient. The lie of efficiency thinks you know, that somehow we can neaten things up so it's always faster, quicker, better. But usually it's not, and that's proven time and time again. <laughs> Love takes time. Amen. Love takes time. And... Uh, It's so crucial for us. I mean, in everything we do, in learning, in sports, in art, in growing up, everything takes time. And in time, we learn patience and grace. God's, time is the great theater of God's grace where it plays out. Mm -hmm. So, but we we get hypnotized by this efficiency that somehow or another, uh, we can do it all much better, much quicker. But how many people are in great pain? How many people are in incredible pain? because of the the myth and the lie of efficiency. There are some things that we can do better and we can refine and, and move forward in a good way, yes. But the notion that efficiency becomes a god, that's one of the great lies.
2: And he was also keenly aware that in the name of this efficiency and in the name of this relegation of the moral law to becoming but an opinion in the footnote of history. He, he, he identified this, this aggression that was coming out, in, especially amongst children who are experiencing fatherlessness and broken homes and divorced homes. The, the son grows up not knowing his father because the expectation is the father is never home. And, and so you, kind of tongue-in-cheek, mentioned the fact that even the names of rock bands highlight this reality. I don't want to read them out, if you don't mind. But the, all of this is indicative of... The fact that society is aware there's a problem, but it doesn't want to address the problem and address the root cause of how this problem came about. John Paul II had no qualms facing it head on.
4: There's a lot of pain in our world, and a lot of the pain goes hidden and it goes hidden from the time we're very young and we name it other things we name that pain other things and we name the coping mechanisms other things we mm. see it in addictions we see it in violence we see it in hurt we see it in revictimization through pain uh, but the hurt often comes from early family life from adverse childhood experiences that so often have to do with a child growing up in a state where where they don't have the ready accessibility of mom and dad close at hand to care for them and to let them know they're safe, they're irrepeatable, they're irreplaceable, they're loved. There's no pressure to perform. There's no pressure to get all the best grades. There's no pressure to make all the awards. You're loved because of who you are as a child, and there's, you can enjoy your childhood slowly and deliberately over time. And, you know, the childhood is the great witness that life is inefficient. <laughs> uh, and the great saint of the 20th century, Therese of Lisieux, was the spiritual childhood, was her way. And think, at her time, she died in 1897, and all the atheistic philosophers that would return with a wicked tale in communism with atheism, so Nietzsche, uh, Marx, and the others, Kant, and then later Freud, uh, this notion of that God is dead, or religion is just a drug for the people. Well, John Paul II thoroughly disproved that. Amen. He showed the reality of it. And so Teresa of a little girl in France, was God's great response to the atheistic philosophers of the universities of the later 1800s. You know, God doesn't send us answers, he sends us saints. And uh, Teresa of Lisieux, John Paul II, they are the great saints. Maximin Colbe, Faustina. These are the saints that God said, "Here's my answer to the 20th and 21st century." And follow them. Wrap yourselves in them. It doesn't mean we're going to be immune from the pain. It doesn't mean that the trauma that's hitting the world because of the ravaging of the family, of marriage in the family in the later half of the 20th century that's been brewing for over 100 years, Mm -hmm. somehow we'll be immune or sequestered. But it does mean God will cover us and His saints, and, and we will find a way towards healing and uh john paul ii walked that path he didn't just tell us about it he walked it And that's why i wrote the human person according to john paul ii so that the everyday person user-friendly easily accessible can pick up the human person according to john paul ii read it and walk hand in hand with john paul ii
2: I love how you mentioned that uh, childhood is the great testimony of human inefficiency. My son is two years it old, is. and uh, the, his favorite thing whenever I get home is to have me get down on the floor with him. We wrestle a little, and then he brings me his favorite book, and he has me read it to him a dozen times in a row.
4: There's nothing efficient about Christ Himself, the Son, none other than the Son of God, has said, "Unless you become like children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven." It's not like we're somehow going to improve on that. That somehow childhood has to be fixed right doesn 't yeah you know, childhood is we have to become more like that, and uh the the great fear today is that there 's such a war on the child, child is the answer, not the problem Amen. and uh a society has to be convinced that the child comes to give, mm-hmm. the child comes in love, and uh it 's the gift, the child is the gift your child is the love of you and your wife walking around. Your child's identity is love. Mm. No matter what else we might do, we might fail spelling tests, we might not do well in math, we might not do well in sports, we are love. We are love. Mm. And we, we gradually we keep instructing our children that they're not. By our systems in this world, right. that somehow or another you got to measure up, you got to make the grade, you got to get the award, you got to be the blonde-haired, blue-eyed scholar-athlete who makes double what his parents made in half the time. No, that's all a myth. You are love already. Before you can walk, before you can even come from the womb, you are love, and you have you have God's destiny within you already.
2: So in the name of all of these modern movements and these revolutions, man has, you highlight this in your book, man has essentially been trying to rewrite his own creation narrative. You do this whole beautiful thing about the word study of the Hebrew word bara, you know, bereshit bara, in the beginning God created. He, God, God has right. created a natural order, and, and his tell us of that ordering was for good. The scriptures are very clear, and he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was to whoop, you know. he saw that it was good, but mankind has subjugated the good in the name of the efficient, and therefore thrown the good as one of the many babies out with the bathwater.
4: And, and is wounded because of it. You know, we're deceived by Lucifer, by Satan, uh, to misuse our free will for the good, and he presents something to look good, do your own thing, separate from God, do it your way. But God even then comes to our rescue. Mm-hmm. God doesn't abandon us, He doesn't wag His finger at us, He doesn't lecture us. He, he sends His Son, born as a child, born in a state of, of slow human development in the womb of Our Lady, mm-hmm. an infant, you know, that all of Heaven fills Our Lady's womb. Uh, and John Paul II had a unique intuition to this. And it was really accessed it in prayer in a way. He shares it right with us, that we can walk right beside him, John Paul II. He is our great teacher. Shows us that that the child is not the threat. The child is the gift. The child is the answer. Most of our problems in life would be solved if we just become like the child. The, the child. I imagine the child we were at four, five, and six, mm-hmm. who. Who we, If we could just rediscover them, how much freer we'd be. And it doesn't mean we give up responsibility. It doesn't mean we step away from our tasks or run away from them. It means we engage them in a creative new way without compelling others to step into this crazy type of treadmill mm-hmm. that leads to a cliff. When we're all on a great treadmill leading right to a cliff uh, by efficiency and everything else in our culture. And John jump hole. His notion was: be not afraid, step off of that, and love, love the child, love, accept the child as Mother Teresa, Saint Mother Teresa would say. What, what, what great dual saints we had with Saint Mother Teresa and uh, Saint John Paul II, the great saints of the beauty of childhood after Saint Teresa of Lisieux. That's why, in my book the human person according to john paul ii it's presented in a way where we can gradually take in what john paul is saying and make it part of our daily life it doesn't remain on the shelf mm-hmm. it doesn't remain lost in an academic volume right. he's a saint for every day amen the human person according to john paul ii explains that how he's within reach and right nearby
2: and and that's the outstanding thing that uh, a man who is such a poetic uh, ph- philosopher Genius in his own regard, especially with the great synthesis of Max Scheler's phenomenology with the narratives of Genesis one and two, uh, and he brings he particularly highlights this reality, right? That all moral theology has to be at the service of the imago Dei. You you highlight that in your book as well, and it's a fundamental truth the truth that's been thrown out the window that no human persons have this divine image that's beyond themselves and it insists on the need to be recognized for its dignity
4: exactly the human person is created in god's image and likeness if john paul ii carol voitiwa in his philosophical system had one word as person what is the human person who are the divine persons obviously in the trinity but the human person created in the image and likeness of god it doesn't mean we're entitled to do anything we want whenever we want it means we are a gift and we have responsibility to act in a certain way that recognizes the gift of others and doesn't mistreat it or reject it or control it or overpower it or use it uh... And, everything he did was to that whether, as you said, in his poetry. He had his own philosophical system. He blended to mystic metaphysics and contemporary phenomenology. Mm-hmm. He was developing his unique philosophical system, but he showed us in an everyday sense. How to live a Catholic way of
2: life. And may we come to greater appreciate his work. Monsignor Bransfield has been a joy talking to you. been talking to Monsignor Brian Bransfield, author of several books, including The Human Person, According to John Paul II. Stay tuned. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon.
0: Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic Law School in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit avemarialaw.edu. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Finding good health care, encouragement for healthier living, or solid spiritual direction can be frustrating. That's why the Catholic healthcare Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering a health-sharing option. Curo's Christ-centered wellness services include Catholic wellness coaching, spiritual direction, and a Catholic community supporting your health and wellness needs. Visit cmfcuro.com to learn more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. ChatGPT
10: gpt is the latest craze in artificial intelligence technology and we've seen everybody from students to pastors to even teachers using it to assist in their work in the last ave maria radio poll of the week we asked you if you think this is a good idea and not surprisingly the vast majority of you said no you don't like where this is trending thanks to everybody who voted in that poll if you want to vote in our new poll go to ave and scroll down to the poll of the week
1: The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life, in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street, sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization.
8: Father Benedict Crochelle. I want to welcome you,
6: if you're not familiar, with the wonderful world of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What will America become if it makes it impossible for the Holy Spirit to work here because of untruth and self indulgence and paganism? This is not just a nice discussion of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because I'm going to discuss. What happens when people make it impossible to be prudent, just, or honest, or brave, or courageous, or reverent? When people make that impossible, what a terrible thing they do not only to themselves, but to our society.
11: EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Do you have an unrelated twin, a doppelganger, walking around somewhere? I'm Chuck Gattaca and this is Journey Strong. Scripture points to many who may have been actual twins. Doubting Thomas, one of the 12 apostles, may have been a twin. His surname is Didymus, which means double or twofold. Is it possible for each of us to have a twin of sorts, an unrelated person who so closely resembles us that they pass for a twin? Research cited by Dr. Peter Atia indicates that 99.9% of the human genome is identical across all humans. So it is possible that at least one of the billions on Earth could have a slight bit more genetic material that makes them look like me or you. But it isn't just looks. Even certain behavior studied tend to be more similar in lookalikes. The next time someone says you look like George Clooney, research says it's possible. For more on this, look for the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net.
2: Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta. In this first hour, I'm focusing on the legacy of Pope Saint John Paul II, whose anniversary of election into the papal chair we celebrate today. I'm talking to Dr. Monica Miller. She has a personal story about encountering John Paul II, and she's also done copious work drawing from his resources on the theology of women and the family. Dr. Monica Miller is the Director of Citizens for Pro-Life Society and the author of many books, including The Authority of Women in the Catholic Church, Abandoned, The Untold Story of the Abortion Wars, and Theology of the Passion of the Christ. Check out ProLifeSociety.com. Monica, how are you doing? Yeah,
12: I'm doing well. I, I want to share with your listeners a really, actually, kind of a remarkable story. So, back in 2004, the very day after Christmas, uh, Edmund and I took our three children to Italy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Bernadette was 13, Joseph was 11, and Patrick was nine. So we're romping around Italy. But I did a lot of preparation, a lot of planning for this trip, okay? Uh, Not down necessarily to every detail, but I was not leaving anything necessarily to chance. And I thought, you know, maybe we could get a private audience with John Paul II. I mean, I know other people have, have gotten an audience. What, why can't we? And I thought, well, what, what do they have that I don't have? Oh, they have a connection. Okay, well, don't I have any connections? So I thought, oh, you know what? We know Bishop uh, Fabian Bruskowitz in Lincoln, Nebraska, because he used to be our pastor in, in, in Wisconsin. So I wrote to him. I says, could you arrange for us to have this audience, and so on. Well, uh, maybe two weeks before the trip, an envelope comes in the mail, and I open it up. It was from his office, and it had these blue tickets, okay? The blue tickets are the Reparto Speciale, okay? What's the Reparto? The Reparto Speciale are the blue tickets. That means you get to sit in the first 20 rows, of a of a general audience, okay. And I thought, well, I guess that's the best he could do, you know. I, you know, I we'll, we'll just make it work, you know. I guess whatever. And but then in the letter uh, with the tickets, he he said, make sure that you have a cell phone uh, in Italy, okay. And I said, well, of course, we'll have our cell phone, you know. So we get to Italy, we're at our apartment, and I try to charge up the cell phone. And it, it just fizzled out. I, I couldn't charge it up. And the charger wouldn't work. And, you know, there's a, there, you have to have the adapter, and right, it wasn't right. working. Okay. So I thought, well, we already have the reparto special, eh? I mean, what do we need the cell phone for, you know? So I, I put it up on a buffet, and I just left it there for the remainder of the trip. So we go to the, to the general audience. I had the kids all dressed up. I mean, nobody's wearing tennis shoes and T-shirts, okay? We're going to get really <laughs> dressed up to go see the Pope. We get down to the hall. And we were late. Oh, I couldn't believe it how that we were late. But I thought, hey, it doesn't matter. I've got the reparto speciale, and you know? I've got the tickets. <laughs> so I go up to the Swiss guard, and I said, uh, "Mia famiglia dove per the for the setting? You know where do we sit?" He looks at me and he says, "Signore, full." Oh, I'm going full. He says, "Completo." I, in other words. All, this, all the seats were taken in the first 20 rows, <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, I've got the repartos speciale here. He said, it didn't make any difference. We sat literally in the back of the hall. The Pope comes out on the stage. He is this little white speck somewhere down there. Okay. I said, okay, Monica, I'm not going to cry. I, I, I really tried really hard. This is the best we could do. Okay. Now the trip is over, and I come home. And I thought I charged up the phone. I thought, well, certainly somebody had to call us, right, over the over our you know while we were gone. And uh, so I listened to the messages, and this voice comes on the phone, and it said, "Hello, this is Monsignor Baldwin at the Vatican. You have been invited to a private mass with His Holiness John Paul II." 10 o'clock a.m. on New Year's Day. Please call us and let us know if you can attend. <laughs> I'm going, I, you couldn't talk to me for a week. Oh. I was so upset. I was completely disconsolate. You couldn't, there was no consolation. I thought, where do I rank this disappointment? <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's up there with not having a fourth child. I mean, oh. it, is, it was huge. Okay. He died three months later. Because he died in April of two thousand five, mm-hmm. about a week or so after that, I had a dream, and the dream was that he came to visit us at our house, and he had a small entourage with with him, and and it was a, it was just a, a spontaneous knock on the door. I didn't expect the Pope to visit us at our house. And I, so now I'm Martha running around trying to get the dinner ready, right? And my son Joseph has the camcorder taking <laughs> pictures of the Pope. And John Paul II slumped into a, an armchair, and he said, I'm not feeling well. I really don't feel very well. You know, and we didn't quite know what to make of that. The next thing in the dream, I'm at a train station, a big train station, like Union Station in Chicago, and I'm on the platform, and the train is already on, on the track at the platform. And I look down the platform, and I see the Pope way at the end. And I said, wait for me. Holy Father, wait for me. And I run down the, down the, the platform, and I catch up to him just before he's got his – you know he's just about to get on the train. And I, and I caught up to him, and he hugged me. In the dream, and he pressed my head against his chest in the hug, and i could I could feel and and hear his heart beating against against my face and Then he got on the train wow. as because he left i mean he was leaving right he had already the train that took him to the next life, right, but it was such a vivid dream. Mm-hmm. And I felt that I, I had my – he visited me. I had, in other words, I had my private audience right. with him in that dream. Uh, and, and that dream is, has, has stuck with me uh, uh, all, all these years. So I, I, I do believe wow. he, he visited me in, in the dream. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so there's, there's my, my story. But here's the lesson. When a bishop tells you to have a cell phone, okay, when you're on a trip to Italy, all right, make sure you got it charged up. <laughs> so there's, there's my, there's my John Paul II story.
2: <laughs> you know, it's really hard to transition from that. That was such a powerful story. And gosh. So, you know, the love you have for John Paul II, you you know, this I I deeply loved Benedict the 16th and I never got a chance to even see the man from a distance and mm-hmm. I I can only imagine your your heartbreak at everything everything that you went through but it, it mm-hmm. sounds like you got spiritual consolation from all this after all. I yes,
12: he visited me.
2: Wow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh You've devoted your, your, the entirety of your theological career to fighting for the dignity of the human person. John Paul II was a champion right. of that. And he was also in very particular concentration a champion for uh, the, the role, dignity, and, and purpose of woman and womanhood. And you've right. drawn from a lot. I, th- I think people underestimate just how much you draw from his theological corpus for the work that you've done on women in Genesis 1 and 2.
12: Well, the one of one of the most important contributions he made was a series of um of speeches mm-hmm. uh that he gave during a papal audience on the um I would call it an exegesis on um the first um 3 chapters of Genesis. Right. And in particular Genesis chapter 2. Um and the the way in which John Paul II understood the complementarity between men and women as, as it is given by God in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so the beginning with a capital B, because it's really a theological category, mm-hmm. okay, that what's given in the beginning informs us um, regarding the meaning of male and female sexuality. And that uh ultimately, um male and female sexuality are the prime symbols, if you will, sacramental mm. symbols uh, of the covenant uh, between God and his people, right and so he talks about the the problem of original solitude, mm. okay, and that's ba- that really is his language, um the problem of original solitude that the human person. Uh, and, and and maybe we should even say even the male person is not meant to live in a a, a radical isolation mm-hmm. um, I, and I think he even called it an extremity um, you know and what what's what does it mean to be in extremity it means you' being're you're, you're, you're far away from human communion right and so the establishment of human communion the woman Brings an end to the to the to the frontier of solitude, right? And that's again, that's his, his language. Yep. And uh, with the creation of the woman, uh, she brings the man into the into the realm of of the family, and gives the 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 man an uh, an understanding of what what is his ma- what is the meaning of his masculinity. That's right. And the meaning of male masculinity is to be at the service Mm -hmm. of the family and at the service of his wife and his children. Right. So the man, if he's going to be – if he's going to work, his work and the money that he makes uh, is put to the service of his family. Of bride
2: and children. Okay, it's not
12: just about the career or I'm living a separate existence. What I do at work has nothing to do with my home. Mm Um, and and so on so the the one flesh unity of of the uh of, of original uh the 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 original um giving of male and female sexuality it it's 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 a nuptial unity and you know one thing our our culture uh uh Marcus has completely i think i can say this almost with Complete confidence has really gotten. We don't believe that sexual activity is for marriage,
2: right? Right. It's
12: it's that that tie that connection is completely severed,
2: right? And to that end, if I may add, that there's a there's a sacred dignity behind the action. It's yes. been relegated to this. I don't know this this kind of activity that's done for the sake of leisure,
12: Re- leisure, or you know, a fleeting um, a c- a connection with someone but the the sex sexuality is nuptial, mm-hmm. and if there's anything that our culture really needs to recapture is that is that is that that awe if you will, that when i when i when we perform these acts, um we're doing something holy, yep we're doing something sacred um that the that I and and that's and it also, you know, I wrote an article a while ago about um contraception and the language mm-hmm. of the body. Yep, I remember okay. that. Okay. So that w- w- your your body and uh, and coming off of, you know, you know on uh, uh the foundation there with with John Paul II, the um the body is your word. You speak with your masculinity. You speak your femininity. Yep,
2: John Paul II calls that the language. The of language
12: the body. of the body, and we 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 could even say that you're you're performing a sacred type of liturgy mm. in in the conjugal act, and you're speaking the marriage, um, and that means you have to give yourself completely. Right. Nothing about being male, and nothing about being embodied as a male, or, uh, and embodied as a female can be edited out. Right. You have to. It's full giving because you're speaking the reality of your one flesh unity.
2: There's that one line, right, Ma- uh, man only, t- only find himself, finds himself when he makes a complete gift of gift, himself to the other. making a
12: gift, yes, exactly,
2: yeah. So, he, he coins terms like uh, feminine genius and masculine mm-hmm. genius just for the sake of our listeners. Uh, just uh, briefly what are well again words?
12: the the, you know, the, feminine, the feminine genius oh he it's, and I believe it 's in mulieris dignitatum yep. okay, his uh, apostolic exhortation on the the role in the, in the dignity of women. And uh, that's a marvelous work. And I actually, I I have given a whole speech uh, on that particular work.
2: Oh, gosh. I'd love to continue this conversation, Monica. And this was riveting indeed. been talking to Dr. Monica Miller, Director of Citizens for a Pro-Life Society, author of many books. And uh, in particular, today, we talked about her work in The Theology of Women, drawing from the corpus of John Paul II. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon.
3: your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Kowarski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and Pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Did you know I could
6: suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Pro Across America,
8: the Billboard People. This program is brought to you in part by MyLifeAngels.com. My Life Angels provides peace of mind by notifying you the moment a loved one enters an emergency room. Right on your smartphone, you'll have instant access to everything needed, including all legal documents to ensure you are empowered to protect their life-affirming wishes. My Life Angels also alerts hospital ER staff with critical medical information and emergency contacts. More information at mylifeangels.com.
2: Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Crest in the Afternoon, rounding off the first hour where we talked about John Paul II's legacy on the anniversary of his election into the papal office. Remember, tomorrow, Cardinal pierre Battista Pizzabala has called for a day of prayer and fasting for peace in the Holy Land. So tomorrow, Catholics across the world will be joining together in Eucharistic adoration and reciting the Holy Rosary that God will deliver the Holy Land from war and grant our desire for peace, justice, and reconciliation. Stay tuned for the second hour where we talk with Father Romano Cesario about his book, The Seven Sacraments. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon.
1: from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for Conversations of Consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon.
2: Hey, good afternoon, and welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon for the second hour of today's program. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta. Al's away from the studio today. I want to bring to everyone's attention, if you're joining us for this hour, that Cardinal pierre Battista Pizzabala has called for a day of fasting and prayer tomorrow for Catholics across the world to join in union in calling for peace and reconciliation in the Holy Land. So that's Tuesday, October the 17th, and he's urged Catholics across the world to join in Eucharistic adoration and recitation of the Holy Rosary to deliver to God the Father our thirst for peace, justice, and reconciliation. So please join us here at Ave Maria Radio and EWTN as we pray for peace in the Middle East. <clears throat> Today is the anniversary of the election of Pope John Paul II to the papal chair, and we spent the entire first hour talking about his theological legacy, as well as a little humorous uh, anecdote of a friend of ours, Dr. Monica Miller, in relation to Pope John Paul II. Pope John Paul II, in his apostolic exo- exhortation, Christopher fidelis Ellis Laici, talks about the role of the faithful in living out their priestly, kingly, and prophetic role. And he very honestly says this, especially when it comes to the prophetic mission, we participate in the proclamation of of the gospel and therefore join in the prophetic mission of Christ. We've been, the lay faithful belong to Christ. We belong to Christ. He is Lord, King of the universe. And so we share in his kingly mission because we have to spread this kingdom on earth. And we exercise our kingship as Christian in spiritual combat when we overcome sin and we overcome the different deaths that we face. And we make of ourselves a gift To serve in justice and charity, just as Christ our King and Lord served in justice and charity. And we become priests when we continue to offer ourselves as sacrifice for the sake of others. Particularly when we unite our sacrifices to the celebration of the Eucharist. Now he writes this, reflecting the role of the laity in the mass, and particularly in the church at large. And today, as we continue forth in this lay apostolate, and the numerous lay apostolates that have arisen in the church, you and I become unique participants in the priestly, kingly, and prophetic role of Jesus Christ. And John Paul II was so keenly aware of this that he put it in an apostolic exhortation. So, Ponder the great legacy of this man, and we're going to be talking with Father Romanus Cesario about the seven sacraments and how the Church has left us this patrimony. Let's take a look at the headlines.
0: Thanks, Marcus. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News. For Monday, October 16th, it's the Feast of St. Margaret Mary Alico. Today's news brought to you by Charity Mobile, supporting pro-life and Catholic causes at CharityMobile.com. A vote on Jim Jordan's bid to become Speaker of the House is expected Tuesday at noon. Congressman Kevin McCarthy telling Fox and Friends he feels good about the Ohio Republican chances to succeed him as House Speaker.
10: He has been an integral part of, of our team when we took the majority, helping us get the majority.
0: But it remains unclear if he'll have the 217 votes needed to secure the position. While the GOP holds a slight majority in the House, some Republicans are firmly against Jordan. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says Hamas must be permanently stopped.
1: The United States Senate Will do everything possible to help israel eliminate the
9: threat that hamas presents
0: the new york democrats comments coming after he led a bipartisan congressional delegation to tel aviv over the weekend attorney general merrick garland is opening a federal hate crimes investigation into the death of a child the six-year-old chicago boy was brutally killed saturday his mother was also injured in the attack that authorities say was carried out by the family's landlord Evidence suggests the family was targeted due to their Islamic faith and the Israel-Hamas war. A judge is issuing a limited gag order against Donald Trump in his federal election interference case. The order prohibits all parties from making statements publicly targeting Special Counsel Jack Smith and his staff, court staff, and potential witnesses. The federal judge, however, decided against restrictions on disparaging the Justice Department at large, which prosecutors requested. And Republican State Attorney General Jeff Landry will be the next governor of Louisiana. Landry had over fifty-one percent of the vote as of Saturday evening. He'll succeed term limited Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards. From your Avi Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark.
2: Hey good afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta of the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta. For those of you who don't know me, I am a radio host here at Ave Maria Radio. I host Unveiling the Covenants. Look it up on AveMariaRadio.net. It's a program on sacred scripture and the love of God the Father. We're talking with Father Romanus Cesario, professor of theology at Ave Maria University, author of several books, including the one we're talking about today, The Seven Sacraments of the Catholic Church. There are seven sacraments administered in the Catholic Church, and we sometimes don't pay them enough attention. Why do we require sacramentalized visible realities to, in a sense, seal our confession of faith in Christ Jesus? Why does the Catholic Church administer the sacraments in the way that it does? Father Romanus does a pretty intricate dive of sacramental theology using primarily the works of St. Thomas Aquinas, but uh, drawing from a host of resources, especially the Church Fathers. Father Romanus, how are you doing?
6: Very well, thank you.
2: Well, it's a joy to speak to you. Uh, I'm a, you teach at Ave Maria University, and I'm an alumnus of Ave, Ave Maria University. So I've got a deep love for—I I once I was there when you gave a graduate lecture, and I've got a deep love for the work you do in uniting the Thomistic framework with the grander, uh, grander scope of the, patri- uh, the patrimony of the Church. So Thank you. So I want to talk about uh, what, what prompted you to want to go down this path and, and to create a kind of syst- systematic defense of the Church's presentation of sacramental theology.
6: Well, there were two main reasons. One is uh, quite pragmatic. Uh, I taught a course on the sacraments at St. John's Seminary in Boston for 24 years, and prior to that at the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, occasionally I had uh, taught course on the sacraments but the other reason uh is a more important one uh i think there's ample evidence that as you indicated the sacraments are neither well understood nor much appreciated uh, especially in the full dimensions of what they do to bring us in union with god
2: well, that's the honestly. I believe this book is going to go down as one of those books constantly drawn on uh, for the sake of a proper presentation of sacramental theology. And one of the things that you do so well in highlighting is that the church did not, at some point, particularly with the Council of Trent onwards, uh, fabricate sacramental systems. In fact, one can you you highlight this. One can trace as far back as early as the fourth century A.D. where St. Augustine, amongst others, talk about how no, the sacramental formula has to remain intact. We can trace these seven sacraments in in a proper way all the way to the early church and veritably to Christ himself. So tell us a little about that.
6: Well, uh, the first and most important and perhaps the only thing that needs to be said is this is an article of faith. I I make a point of that in the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, That the seven sacraments are instituted by Christ uh, is uh, uh, is confirmed, is proclaimed by the Council of Trent in response to the Protestant Reformers' claim that uh, at least five of them have no explicit mention in the New Testament uh, and certainly not any uh, indication that they were instituted by Christ they dealt with baptism and the Lord's Supper slightly differently. So uh, why did uh, Trent affirm uh, the institution by Christ? Well, there's a theological reason, and that is, if Christ didn't institute them, they would have been, as it were, inventions of the early Church. So it's not a question of the early Church. We don't want that. Mm -hmm. Because the early Church didn't have the capacity to institute sacraments that do what the seven sacraments of the catholic church do
2: right so going from there then it's it's a matter of divinely revealed truth Christ himself initiated the sacraments, and the church has been this guardian of this repository of faith and handing it down through the ages. The, the concept of the sacramental formula, the form, matter, and intent, these are crucial things that the church has fought hard to maintain in terms of their, their, their dignity. They're keeping them intact uh, over the years, so uh, touch on that a little bit.
6: Well, I mean, the first thing I would say as a preface to answering that question is, in the process of defining the um, institution of the sacraments by Christ, the, the Council of Trent also does something which people uh, don't think happens very often. It gave a certain legitimacy to interpretations of New Testament texts. <laughs> For each of the sacraments, Trent gave a text that um is in support of the belief so as mm-hmm. to not to make it sound as if something was being uh, spun out of whole cloth right well as far as the uh yeah well attacks on the sacraments uh, have uh, been part of the church's as you suggest uh, encounter with uh, culture for a long time um, the uh, The most obvious one is the sixteenth century Protestant reform, uh, but there are other uh, uh, times when people have tried to redesign the sacraments, um, and those continue up to this day. Uh, the, the truth to be told, most of the examples are not very pleasant, and I'm not sure anything is served by. Calling them to mind now, I mean, there are people. There are people who thought the. There are many people who thought the Eucharist was only a symbol. Right. There are many people who wondered about uh, how the sacrament of penance and reconciliation should be uh, exercised, and whether it, in fact, forgives sins or urges the forgiveness of sins, or helps people believe that maybe their sins are forgiven. There are people who um, but if you come to modern challenges, well, there's a whole host uh, of challenges. One of the most recent that John Paul II had to address, or two of the most recent he had to address, one was whether male holy orders is reserved to males only, Mm -hmm. and uh, he addressed that, and Pope Francis has pointed to that when people ask about women priests. Right, right. And the other thing John Paul II did was, in canon law, to make it clear that only priests can administer the sacrament of holy anointing, uh, formerly known as extreme unction, or the anointing of the sick, because that sacrament is a sacrament of forgiveness, and Christ gives only to the priests of his church, as is evident from his appearance to the, uh, risen, the appearance of the risen Christ to the apostles, the power to forgive sins but there are other uh there are other uh, sacraments you uh, could add to the list now <clears throat> uh, holy matrimony which uh is it's always under attack either because of its permanence its exclusivity and now even under the proper matter namely a man and a woman so yeah the sacraments have, and then when you get into theological views there are a, a host of theological views that don't exactly hit a bullseye on how the sacraments work. Right, right. The most common one uh, is the attempt to uh, reduce the causal efficacy of mm. the sacraments. Right, so... I mean, that gives you some idea I could go on. I mean, if you go back to the early centuries, uh, the, probably the biggest confusion about the sacraments Occurred in the so-called rebaptism and reordination controversy. Mm-hmm
2: which was going to spark my next question which has to do with the sacramental character now you you, you spend some time in the book uh, talking about this and it, it perhaps is especially for me being a f- former protestant now catholic uh, it perhaps is one of the most misunderstood parts of particular sacraments in, in the sevenfold sacramental framework uh, pertaining to the srajis or, or the character so uh, talk to us about that the church teaches very firmly that some sacraments produce an indulgence mark in the soul, and, and how does classical theology understand that?
6: Well, uh, the, obviously indelible mark is a metaphor,
2: mm-hmm.
6: and uh, character itself is a metaphor, because as I point out the original meaning, St. Augustine used it because the Greek word for sheep brand uh, comes close to what in English we say is character. character yep and um and that's what saint augustine's argument about uh people who sinned grievously and who there and who strayed from the practice of the catholic faith apostates in other words and he he said uh, there were holy people who said well these people have abandoned their baptism their ordination and if they come back we have to start all over again and saint augustine said well If the the sheep strays, he can't get rid of the mark, the branding, that the owner has put on him, and that's something like what happens in these sacraments. Now, what the logical point is, is very simple to understand. Stop and think about it. If human sin could undo a divine activity, Mm -hmm. such as baptism, Baptism, confirmation, will consider the same sacraments of initiation mm-hmm. or the holy priesthood. Well, uh, that makes the divine activity pretty fragile. Right, it's like saying that uh, you know uh, God, God made the world, but um, the world has a has a lot of bad. I mean, what he you know, but he but uh, he, he messed up. He, 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 then we can we we've got to make it better. Uh, that might be a poor way to explain it, but the more profound explanation is: human sin cannot wreck a divine action mm-hmm. uh, of the kind that baptism and holy baptism, confirmation and holy orders, in parts, namely, because each of them bestow a new nature for the baptized and confirmed as a new nature, which is literally the gift of supernatural life. And for the priesthood, it's an identification with Christ that cannot be equated with any human reality.
2: Right, and and that's a really crucial point for all of us as the faithful to hold on to, which is that evil by itself, doesn't have; it's a privatio boni, it doesn't have substance unto itself. And therefore, even when evil is acting, you know, e- evil corrupts the nature, the bonum it, in the privatio boni still exists, the good still exists, the nature is still there. So uh, what the sacraments do then is they act upon the nature, which is in and of itself a good in as much as it exists. And and you talk about that in uh, well in different parts of your, your book, particularly pertaining to uh, the sacraments of healing. I want to continue this conversation with Father Romano Cesario on the other side of the break. Father Romano Cesario is a professor of theology at Ave Maria University and author of several books, including The Seven Sacraments of the Catholic Church. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon.
7: The wisdom of
8: Mother Angelica.
3: I told him about the woman who came to me and said her two children hadn't spoken to each other for two years. Their grandma died and she was very wealthy. She left half to each one. She said they're arguing over a commode. She said it's inlaid. Can you imagine being in hell? <laughs> and somebody saying to you, what are you here for?
13: <laughs> EWTN
12: Live
11: Truth. Live Catholic.
13: It's time for Family
9: Man with Dr. Gregory Popchuk. Do you celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life? It's an approach to family spirituality that can help every Catholic family encounter Christ more meaningfully at home and experience their faith as the source of the warmth in their homes. The liturgy of domestic church life has three parts. The rite of Christian relationship helps families love each other with Christ's sacrificial love. The rite of family rituals helps families develop Christian attitudes toward work, play, relationships, and faith. And the right of reaching out helps families learn to serve each other and the world just like Christ. When you live out the liturgy of domestic church life, you bring the grace of the Eucharist home and let Christ transform everything about the way you live and love each other. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popjack, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, Visit CatholicCounselors.com Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org.
13: This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter.
0: Finding health care for yourself and your family can be isolating and confusing. That's why the Catholic health alternative CMF Curo is offering Christ-centered health sharing for individuals and families, along with new wellness services to help heal and restore your whole person, spirit, mind, and body. Visit cmfcuro.com to find out more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back
2: to Crest on the Afternoon. Marcus Peter here, talking with Father Romanus Cesario, Professor of Theology at Ave Maria University, author of several books, including the one we're talking about today, The Seven Sacraments of the Catholic Church. So, Father Cesario, we were talking about uh, the, the sacraments as efic- uh, e- e- efic- efficacious means of uh, bringing about salvation. And you you talk about the tripartite cat- uh, categories that... that constitute the sacraments. So uh, briefly walk our listeners through what that means, because it's one of those areas of classical theology that most people don't know or don't think about.
6: Well, uh, the the threefold tripartite uh, structure of each sacrament grew out of the controversy that uh, St. Augustine and earlier uh, uh, the reordination controversies uh surrounding St Cyprian and the pope yeah it grew out of that because it, it, the the church came to realize that it's not enough simply to speak about a sign action for example pouring water over the child in baptism and the grace of um baptism which meant the gift of new life in Christ, in a nutshell. And uh, but rather, it was necessary to posit something in between, uh, in between the sacramental action and the grace that each sacrament communicates.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: And uh, that in between was uh, became known uh, in, in, in the language I use, uh, borrowed from a very revered a teacher, Father Coleman O'Neill, mm-hmm. as an abiding sacrament, an abiding sacrament. And the abiding sacrament uh, simply means, just what it says, that uh, whatever you do, you can't undo your baptism. And not only can't you undo it by bad actions, you can't undo it by choice. You know, people say, take my name out of the baptismal register. Well... That can't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, baptism can't be undone. And um, that means something remains. Right. So there gives you the... Three. So what do we have? We have three, if you want to call them, elements to each sacrament. Mm-hmm. There's the sacramental action. And those of, of those who frequent the, the Church have, have probably all seen a baptism. They've seen a confirmation. They've certainly seen... Uh, the Sacrament of Penance the sac- and Holy Eucharist uh, there certainly many have certainly witnessed a uh, holy matrimony um, and uh, some may have been to an ordination, and uh, lastly, some may have assisted the priest in the anointing of a sick or dying person so the the in sac- those those sacramental actions are set down in the official books they're determined by the Church, nobody can change them. Uh, there, that's what's called the sacramentum tantum, that's right. just the sign. Then there comes what the, the effect caused efficaciously by the sacrament, and that's the grace, which is different for each sacrament. Um, that, that'll take us too long, but uh, some of it's common sense. Some of the people know
5: mm-hmm. uh,
6: communion, Holy Communion, the most obvious one, increases our charity, and because we love better, we find ourselves more and more united with all those who are in Christ. Uh, Penance is another one that's clear, uh, the forgiveness of sins, and so forth. That's the grace. Then there's the abiding sacrament. And in the three sacraments that give character, the abiding sacrament is a matter of dogmatic teaching, mm-hmm. namely the baptismal character, the confirmation character, and what's important to stress today, especially because sometimes because of bad publicity and, um, and so forth, uh, mm-hmm. the abiding the character of holy orders.
7: Right, the
2: presbyteral character. There's
6: no such thing as an ex-priest. People talk <laughs> like that. That's right. There's no such thing as an ex-priest. And moreover, the worst and most sinful priests who are the worst. And who's in jail? But uh, or not. If someone needs the sacraments uh, of reconciliation before dying, he can do it. No matter how much he's been uh, lay aside or reduced to the lay state, how much he's been put under punishments. No matter he's the, That's how the church understands the importance of the sacraments and of the the ministry of the sacraments. In any case, so. Those are the three that are obvious. Now, it is possible to identify what abides in the other four. Some of them are obvious, so I'll mention it. Others require a little explanation. Mm-hmm. But the most obvious for married people is what is called the bond. Right. Namely, that, uh, uh, this is, that perpetuity and exclusiveness comes about by the very nature of the consummation of a, of a marriage, a proper marriage. And, uh, fine. So, the uh, the bond, and another one, which is now, uh, uh it can be very clear, in terms of, uh, the, the grace received, is when holy anointing, um, brings about not only the forgiveness of sins appropriately, but also brings about the healing of the body, I mean, that's quite a, that's a a, a grace that becomes visible. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the way, since we're talking to the Michigan, I I was, I was in Michigan at one time, and believe it or not, was asked to, in the middle, uh, to take an emergency call at a a hospital, I I can't even tell you where, I think it may have been in the Detroit area. Mm -hmm. Uh, In any case, uh, and a woman was on the table, and there was a teaching hospital. there were many young doctors standing around the woman and they didn't they looked at me as a witch doctor they didn 't really want to let me in, but I put my hand in and anointed the woman the next day when i, went, I had I had a reason to go back. the nurses called me over and whispered that uh, the doctors got quite a surprise because they were about to pronounce her dead, and after the anointing, she was uh, wound up in the recovery room mm. So. Uh, this does happen. Uh, right. uh, so that's the... And then the question of working out the uh, abiding sacrament, uh, because obviously a, a healing of body is, has a certain abiding character to it. Uh, what becomes difficult is, for example, people say, well, how can something abide in the sacrament of penance if I sin especially seriously again? The answer to that, briefly put, is... You're a different person having been forgiven sacramentally Mm. than never having been forgiven Mm. sacramentally. Because you know from experience, and it's very difficult to shake off, that forgiveness for your sins does exist somewhere.
2: Amen. So, and you highlight that in the book, that while on the one hand we do need a, a metaphysical intellectual inquiry into uh, the theological categories of the sacraments, there is a reality of the religious experience that ought not to be completely negated.
6: No, of course not. That's why they're visible. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that would be like, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, that's why God made them the way he did it. He, <laughs> so, uh, Experience is not a bad category for theology unless it's misused mm-hmm. and sometimes it's misused
2: right, so I want to lean into uh, the whole notion of the the res tantum uh yeah that's right the res tantum the the abiding sacrament right so it,
6: no the res is no the, the abiding is called res et sacrament. res sacramentum. No, res et sacramentum that's right res
2: yeah yeah so in the res et sacramentum uh it, it's not like the grace can inhere upon every single individual indiscriminately. There are certain sacraments that are disposed to particular individuals, and Aquinas is very clear about that. You know, gratia non tolit naturam. It it, it perfects nature. It doesn't uh, do away with nature. So, d- when you mentioned earlier about the whole notion of women ordination, well, the presbyteral character, the diaconal character, can only inhere upon the male person. So, just just talk about that in a general sphere.
6: Well, there's not much to talk about other than uh, that. What this, uh, I mean, you, you, you the, there are arguments in Ordinatio Sacerdotalis. They're not arguments that convince everyone. The arguments in Ordinatio Sacerdotalis is that uh, if Christ had wanted to choose um, uh, women. Among his apostles and among those whom he, or he himself ordained at the Last Supper, he would have done so, mm-hmm. but he didn't. This seems to be an expression of the divine. Well, this is a, it's said to be an expression of the divine will. The other is uh, the other argument is that uh, the male of the species is in a better position to represent christ which should be obvious because christ was a man and the priest stands in persona christi Mm -hmm. now those arguments are not well received by in certain quarters especially feminist quarters but um those are the arguments now you can develop all of those with further reflections but um yeah, I mean, uh, but then it, uh, historically it seems incontestable with respect to who was at the Last Supper, mm-hmm. and um, as far as the question of representing the male Christ, there are also, that probably offers the, uh, the ability to ask the question, you know, why didn't God send a daughter? Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, <laughs> were a woman to have been crucified, it would be a very difficult thing to identify that as a saving act and not an act of abuse. Mm. Uh, but those sort of arguments only really make sense to people who are somewhat disposed to accept what the Church teaches. Right. And right. that's why, afterward, Nazios sacerdotalis, there was a lot of people who said, no, this doesn't work, that doesn't work, and so forth. John Paul II said, okay, uh, is ordinatio sacerdotalis, namely the reservation of male, of ordin- holy orders to males, uh, to be uh, permanently held? And in classic Roman curia ways, maybe not today, but certainly classic Roman curia ways of his day, the response came back, yes, Mm -hmm. Yep. it's to be permanently held. So that's about all you can say about now. The question, if you want to return to it after you pray on deacons, that's a more complicated one.
2: Right. Uh, Well, we'll talk about uh, grace because you go into great detail in your book about that. We're talking to Father Romanos Cesario, Professor of Theology at Ave Maria University and Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresto and Cresta in the afternoon. Stay tuned.
5: Pro-life across America, the billboard people.
3: It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Kowarski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And ProLife Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org.
6: Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born?
0: Yep, we all started small.
11: 60 Seconds with Father Mitch Pacqua.
4: The state has responsibility to orient things, but they can't take over the rights of the family. Like in China, to have one child and that's it. It's a disaster over there. How many tens of millions of abortions have gone on?
6: And one of the things that, as a result of that, is because of the preference to have boy children rather than girls, you have for every thousand boys, there
4: are 850 girls. This is a great imbalance. Same thing is going on in northern India. So this is where the government cannot take away the primary and inalienable responsibility of married couples and families. And they cannot employ methods which fail to respect the person and fundamental human rights. Beginning with the right to life, the government cannot force you to kill innocent human
1: beings and still be a humanistic government. It's an evil government. The people you know and trust... Are on EWTN.
7: What does the Catholic Catechism teach concerning the natural human curiosity and desire to know the future? Paragraph 2115 counsels us that a sound Christian attitude consists in putting oneself confidently in the hands of providence for whatever concerns the future, and giving up all unhealthy curiosity about it. What does the Catechism condemn as unhealthy curiosity? All forms of divination, deifying objects as persons, are to be rejected, as are consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm readings, interpretations of omens and lots, clairvoyance and mediums. All these venues conceal a desire for power over time, history, and other human beings, powers that belong to God alone. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
2: Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. Final segment of the second hour we're talking to Father Romanus Cesario about a theology of the sacraments based on his latest book, The Seven Sacraments of the Catholic Church. So, Father Romanus, I wanted to uh, pivot our conversation a little into a, a conversation about grace. Uh, and you write copiously on grace because the sacraments are primarily speaking efficacious signs of grace in the soul so let's start with what grace does to the human soul there's a there's an elevation of the of the imago dei the, there's obediential potency that's affected by god's grace so tell us about how grace works in the soul and then we'll talk about the sacraments of the old law and new law and how their functions differed in that regard
6: i'll be happy to uh, let me if you don't mind uh Point out to your listeners who may be interested in reading more about the remarks I made on the permanence of uh, Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, which is to say the reservation of holy orders to males.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: There's a remarkable book that came out of lectures given by the late Benedict Ashley at the John Paul II Institute in Washington and published by CUA Press under the title Justice in the Church. That book is available benedict ashley justice in the church it never received many reviews or notice because it was a strong defense of ordinatis mm. now with respect to uh, grace yeah well grace is the word suggests uh grazia is uh, a gift given uh the basic meaning of it and uh, this is to point out that after the human race lost the gift of divine friendship in mm-hmm. Adam's sin, um, the the rest- restoration of that doesn't come as something owed to human nature.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: That's the first thing people have to understand: that we are the beneficiaries of the divine largesse, you could say, mm-hmm. but more essentially with the beneficiaries of divine goodness.
2: Right, the entire, soteriolo- ol- sorry, the entire soteriological economy,
6: yeah. Everything that leads up to Christ and follows from him is a gift. Mm-hmm. And um, there are various ways to express it. Today is St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. You can look at the Revelation, and message of the Sacred Heart. It's a very good way to uh, discover the the gifts that salvation brings. But the important point is to realize that um, grace comes as a gift given. And that explains the sacraments of initiation, especially baptism. Mm -hmm. Why is baptism necessary for salvation? Because you can't uh, climb your way (laughs) into the company of the saved. Right, right. Uh, okay, and that was and the church learned that early on, Pelagius, Controversy, and so forth. Uh, now, um, traditionally, grace was distinguished between habitual and actual, or better, sanctifying and actual. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh,
6: the first thing that uh, grace does is to transform us, because the new nature that uh, grace. Brings to a human person is not in opposition, as you have pointed out several times, to our human nature. It is not ladled upon it like a hot fudge on a Sunday or mm-hmm. syrup on pancakes. Um, it rather is integrated into human nature in such a way that all of our human abilities become suffused with divine energy. Right most obvious example of that is prayer the at the end of the baptismal ceremony the priest says now together with the new christian let us pray the our father the parents godparents, pray the our father for the child But well, to be able to say the our father our father who art in heaven that's a gift right most people outside of divine revelation are frightened of God, that's a generalization, and I like all generalizations there requires a certain honing, but they're, they're they're frightened of God or they're scared of God, or they think God is someone to be placated, but there is no evidence that anyone thinks that the relationship between the creature and God is one of uh, a father and his son or daughter so um that's the mo- that's one of the best examples of what grace enables. And this is why uh, we talk about a sanctifying grace, because <clears throat> we receive a new nature, and that new nature makes it possible for us to do things which otherwise we wouldn't be able to do. Right. And concretely, it's the other six sacraments, because you can't receive any of them uh, without baptism. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, anyone that's been involved in marriage cases knows... Uh, The Church keeps baptismal certificates forever because uh, they have to be made available in order to research uh, marriage cases when when they unfortunately appear. But but the fact of the matter is that uh, all the sacraments follow upon baptism. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are, attached to the sacraments, what are called sacramental graces, the theologians differ on how to explain them, but the bottom line is that each of them has a special grace that helps the person to fulfill the responsibilities that that sacrament brings. Right. The most obvious, those used to be called the the graces of a state in life. Married people are always told that the marriage, among other things, will give you the graces of your state in life, which meant you'd love one another and you would bring up your children and sustain your household and do what a Christian family does. And the same thing is true for uh, the priests, but it's also true for the penitent. The penitent leaves the confessional with uh, a new ability to believe that he's forgiven and therefore forgets the sin and begins to live a new life, mm-hmm. which is a life of charity and uh, we can do it for the other sacraments as well so there's and those are called actual graces because they're graces that move us to um to do uh, that is to say if you want to say to actualize and also because uh, in a, they are uh, the larger category of actual graces are, are transient they come uh, according to God's pleasure, which mm-hmm. is why we pray, we pray for a growth in holiness, and we pray, we pray, we pray to receive uh, what we need in order to meet a particular difficulty, in order to sustain a burden. And uh, we seek the intercession of the saints, another good example. Uh, pregnant mothers who are experiencing difficulties with their pregnancy, I uh, invoke Saint. Gerard Magella to take one example. Everybody invokes Saint Anthony for lost things um yeah, those are all act- where well, what's at work there is an actual grace people are asking for, and it's one that is it's transient in the sense that once the the problem has been resolved, mm-hmm. or whether or not depending on god's holy will the um well, the grace then moves on to something else i mean and there's the next actual grace, which is why. We always, uh, we don't stop praying. Once you're baptized, you don't stop praying for the divine help. Right, right.
2: So I want to uh, explore a little more ju- just how you talk about sanctifying grace. Uh, St. Anselm of Canterbury, he he tackles this whole notion of merit, which, which you also highlight, and that is that when man violated or continues to violate the order of divine justice, he incurs upon himself the, the twofold evil of the the evil of guilt in the malum colpe, but but also the ev- malum peine, the the, the the evil of the punishment itself, and and that's where satisfaction comes into play. That a violation to the order of justice requires forgiveness, but also satisfaction and reparation be made for the violation done. So uh, talk to us about that, because there really is a participation in the life of grace that's warranted from the faithful.
6: Well, for, for your listeners who, uh, you know, I, I have a, a book that uh, on satisfaction. It's called Christian Satisfaction and Aquinas, which lays all of this out, including how St. Thomas differs a bit from St. Anselm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bottom, I mean, the bottom, fine, truth to be told each of the sacraments entails a certain satisfaction this isn't said very much now people know that penance does because the technical name for what is called colloquially the penance three hail mary's three our fathers or whatever the priest gives Mm
5: -hmm.
6: the technical name is satisfaction and that shows that and why does the person have to do it because To be absolved from the guilt of sin still leaves you with the wound of sin Mm. saint augustine has a wonderful metaphor it's one thing uh, to remove the arrow it's another thing to heal the wound and that's pretty much says it all and this is because sin by its very nature runs counter to uh, our ability to do the good Now, those three Hail Marys and Our Fathers are all nominal satisfactions, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but in the early church, in the history of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, much more severe penances were were given, and even more recently, more severe penances were given. But this is why St. Thomas wisely teaches, and I encourage priests listening to practice it. It's in the ritual after the absolution to say the prayer "May the passion of our lord jesus christ the merits of the blessed virgin mary and of all the saints and also whatever good you do and evil you endure because of the remission of your sins the increase of grace and the reward of everlasting life amen because that makes out of those goods you do and evils you endure satisfactory mm-hmm. it has to be brought though under uh, christ's satisfaction it's not simply an ascetical practice. It's not simply right. a juridical practice. Right. Its power comes from being united, and only the priests really can, within the sacrament, make that connection.
2: Right. And that's crucial, too, because in the very next page, you, you mention in, in this one sentence, very powerfully, Painful, painless salvation, like bloodless crosses, proves an illusion. And I'm reminded of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's caution about how the denigration of religious practices as we know it is the result of cheap grace, this soteriology, a salvation, without the need for participation and repentance and the need for satisfaction on the, on the part of the believer
6: yeah that yes i mean yes the answer is yes uh i think uh, i you may know more about von Herford than I do, but uh uh he may have a different understanding of cheap grace than uh because, but and uh, a good Lutheran probably <laughs> didn't recognize this dimension of the sacramental action, but that's a that's a more historical point
2: right right it is so uh let's let's move on then you you talk about uh the efficacy of of the grace of the sacraments, and then you make this juxtaposition between sacraments of the old covenant or the old law, and Aquinas talks about this in question sixty two of the Tertia pass uh and sacraments of the new law how did they differ in in their operations because the old law sacraments did something
6: yeah, well, they disposed in a nutshell um i mean uh, When you go to Mass and hear from the book of Leviticus, uh, there's any number of uh, public Bible uh, sacral readings that go on at the Mass that indicate the Old Law sacraments. But all of them, St. Paul makes it very clear. They were all wonderful to get us ready for Christ, but after Christ, they don't work anymore in a nutshell.
2: Thank you, Father. I've been talking to Father Romanus Cesario, Professor of Theology at Ave Maria University. Stay tuned as we round off the hour. and Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon.
10: ChatGPT is the latest craze in artificial intelligence technology, and we've seen everybody from students to pastors to even teachers using it to assist in their work. In the last Ave Maria Radio Poll of the Week, We asked you if you think this is a good idea, and not surprisingly, the vast majority of you said no, you don't like where this is trending. Thanks to everybody who voted in that poll. If you want to vote in our new poll, go to AveMariaRadio.net and scroll down to the poll of the week.
11: Can smelling certain scents improve our memories? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. When my wife and I had COVID in late 2020, we both lost our sense of taste and smell. In my case, I continued to have issues with my sniffer for a few months. Then I read a study that suggested smelling bold scents could help restore the connection between the nose and the brain. Sure enough, smelling fresh lemons every day seemed to help me recover. No wonder I love the aroma of lemons and incense. Another study, though, indicates that older folks who smelled fragrant essential oils got better sleep and improved memory and thinking. Brain scans confirm they got better. Be careful, though. Some essential oils can be harmful if inhaled over time. Always consult your doctor. Side note, from Genesis 2 to Revelation 18, there are more than 200 references to perfume, odor, and smell. For more on the study, look for our Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net.
8: This program is brought to you in part by MyLifeAngels.com. MyLifeAngels Angels provides peace of mind by notifying you the moment a loved one enters an emergency room. Right on your smartphone, you'll have instant access to everything needed, including all legal documents to ensure you are empowered to protect their life-affirming wishes. My Life Angels also alerts hospital ER staff with critical medical information and emergency contacts. More information at mylifeangels.com.
2: Hey, Marcus Peter here, filling in for Alcrester, rounding off this second hour of today's program. I want to remind everyone once again that Cardinal pierre Battista Pizzaballa has asked for Catholics throughout the world to join together in a day of prayer and fasting for peace and reconciliation in the Holy Land. And this is taking place tomorrow, October the 17th. So join us, Ave Maria Radio in EWTN, and the church across the world to adore Jesus in the Eucharist, and recite the Holy, Holy Rosary that, to deliver to God the Father our thirst for peace, justice, and reconciliation. Continue to pray for all the events that are happening in the Middle East. I want to end with the words of St. John Paul II by simply saying this, The treasure of the Eucharist, which the Lord pra- places before us, impels us towards the goal of full sharing with all our brothers and sisters to whom we are joined by our common baptism. This treasure is not to be squandered. We need to respect the demands which derive from its being a sacrament. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the Afternoon.
1: Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at avemariaradio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A, radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.